You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Well, all right. What's up, church? Good to see you this morning. Uh, if you're here with us, you have children up to the age of second grade. Uh, they can be dismissed at this time. We have uh, age-appropriate ministries um, for them. While you're in here hearing from the scriptures and worshiping, they will be out there worshiping as well and learning along with us. So thank you for being here this morning. If you are a guest with us, we welcome you in um, to being a part of our worship services this morning here at Genesis. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Billy Scheel, and I'm a church planning resident here at the church. And I know a lot of you, but if you're, if you're new here, welcome. And I look forward to uh, getting to know you guys some more. We were introduced last week, uh, Patrick kicked us off in a new sermon series beginning in the book of Titus, and um, really did a fantastic job where he reminded us what Paul reminded Titus and introduced Titus to us. Titus was a part of uh, Paul's church planning team on the island of Crete, and uh, what what Patrick said, I, I found it memorable, as I'm able to remember it today, was that the Crete was like the biker joint of uh, islands. It was like a lot of leather, and there was a lot of guys, Harley Davidsons, so really, really tough dudes, apparently, um, as historians would, would say. But he, Paul left Titus there after many churches were established, multiple towns across the island, and really what he did was he established Titus as the church planter on the island of Crete. And we read that in chapter 1, verse 5, as a reminder to you today that the reason Paul said, I left you in Crete, was to set right what was left undone. And as I direct you, directed you, past tense, to appoint elders in every town. And so Patrick went on then to talk to us about what godly eldership looks like in accordance with the scriptures. And then really kind of cast the, the blanket on all of us and said, we, we all should be aspiring to live like elders are called to live because that's what Christianity is all about, living in light of the truth of the gospel, connected in biblical community, and then responding on mission with God. And so today I have, I have the great joy of, of talking to us today about church planting and why me and my family have surrendered to God's call to, to plant a new church here in 2017 in Southwest Tomball. But what I want to do to kind of get us going in the right direction is to introduce a little bit more about myself and who I am and what God has done to kind of get us up to that place. And then we'll jump in the scriptures and see why I believe that this is a biblical command from God and the means by which God is carrying out his gospel in the earth during this time and in these places that we live today. And so really what I want to do is just, you, you guys know my beautiful family, you know my beautiful wife, Jojo. Ella Jane just turned eight yesterday. She's grown, wow, amazing. Grant is 11. Raise your hand, Grant. Jude is 12. And then Colin is the oldest at 14. And really, God's grace on display in my life right here uh, on the second row. So praise God for that. When I was 18 years old, so I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home by God's grace. God was so kind to me. And so my, my dad and my mom, 
You know, they, they love Jesus. And, and my dad's been an elder in the same church that I grew up in for like 30 years. And I think his name's like on the property, so he's, he can't get away from there. But I grew up in that context where Jesus was taught, the love of Christ was on display in my home, and, and uh, we were at church back in those days. I was born in 1977. You can do the math and figure out how old I am. Uh, and so back in those days, church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe prayer meeting on Friday night. And so we were in the church all the time. And I was born on Saturday and was in church on Sunday morning on the front pew with my folks, right? So by God's grace, the Lord used that to shape me. And over time, I heard the gospel. And the gospel became alive to me and rooted in my heart uh, at an early age. And really, the Lord just gave me a heart for service and you know, a heart to, to love and see people come close to Jesus and to meet the Jesus that I knew, to experience the grace and the love in the life of Jesus Christ. Fast forward to 18, 19, graduated high school. Jojo and I met when we were 12, by the way, and she's still with me. That is a miracle of God. Praise the Lord. At 18, 19, there was a pronounced impression from the Lord and a call on my life for gospel ministry. And like many other godly men who we read about in the scriptures, I ran away from that call, like Jonah, like Moses, and others like me, refusing to follow God in obedience. There was a brokenness in my heart, right? There was a brokenness. And some of that was because of what I had seen in ministry, what I had grown up around, because preachers in my day were more like um, the guys who had corny jokes and, you know, talked in, in like uh, old English from the stage. And I, I mean, I just really thought it was more like a charade. I just like, nobody can really be like that. And they had this onstage persona and this offstage life that really was a disconnect. And I was like, that's not authentic. I can't, that's not me. I'm not signing up for that. And my brokenness led me to pursuing worldly gain and money and consumerism and all these things that was, the Lord was exposing in my heart. So Jojo and I, by God's grace, got married at age 21. I was 21, she was 20. And the Lord was always faithful, keeping us involved in the local church context. And over the years, we served in so many different ways with God's faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness in spite of my silliness in, sp in spite of my you know just immaturity on display in so many ways God is faithful and I'm here today 20 years twenty years in the process following Jesus trying to Love, tried to obey. Trying to honor the Lord, just trying to be a Christian. And, and that's really what this is all about for me is obedience to the Lord. And so in 2008, I began a journey of exploring Acts 29. Some of you are, are familiar with Acts 29 Network. If you're not, Genesis is associated as an Acts 29 network church, and Acts 29 is a single-focused network about planting churches that plant churches that plant churches. 
And really, that's why we are excited about being a part of Acts 29. Again, exploring Acts 29 took a flight up to, at that time, um, the headquarters was in Seattle, Washington. Took that flight, went up there, and began exploring, what is this church planting thing? What, what are all these crazy dudes up in Seattle, Washington talking about? And John Piper was there, and Matt Chandler, and Mark Driscoll, and others at the time, Darren Patrick, were teaching. And really, the Lord began to do a work in my heart and stirring in my soul for church planting. And then I got connected in with Acts 29 churches and uh, moved back. We moved down south, began to serve uh, in a church that was a Sovereign Grace Church in Pearland where my cousin pastors. The Lord then sent us back to Tomball. And when we came back to Tomball, um, we got connected in with Veritas Church, which is also at the time an Acts 29 church. And it was there that I began to talk really with Pastor Dan there, and he began to shape what it meant for me and what it looked like for me to be planting a church. And so as we began to pray through that, it was a season of years, and the Lord just would not take his hand off of that. He just continued to press in, continued to call me to die to myself and lay down all the worldly things that I did longed for and just to give myself fully over to the work of the Lord and ministry and gospel ministry and, and calling people to be a part of that. And so that's why we're here today, thankful to Genesis and the leadership here for allowing me to, to be a part of what God's doing. And really what a residency is, is a strategic time of, of just coming alongside and watching and learning and being shaped to be sent out for the purposes of a new gospel community. And I'm thankful for that in uh, collaboration with Houston Church Planning Network and the Acts 29 Network. This residency all kind of works together. Um, to form what will be kind of a support team and core team um, by God's grace. And so really grateful. Thank you guys for um, just allowing us to be a part, allowing us to come in and to uh, just settle in and then with the, with the purposes of, of being sent out for gospel ministry. Now, the Lord called us to plant a church at kind of the, the four corners or the, the crux of what is now Grand Parkway and State Highway 249 and kind of along that southwest Tomball corridor. Um, if you haven't been over there in a while, there's, there's a lot of development that is soon to be coming. A lot of people that are going to be moving into the area, they're going to need the hope of Jesus, that are going to need a gospel community to connect with, to be a part of, to be raised up, to be trained, to be equipped, to go out and do the work of ministry in the earth and in our community. And so I can't be more excited to be a part of that work and to have some of you prayerfully joining in with us and maybe going with us as the Lord sends us this next year. What I want to look to today in the scriptures is really why church planting. And I want to get us into uh, starting, we'll be jumping in in Acts. Um, chapter 13 is where we're going to kick it off. But before that, um, I want us to ask God to help us and lead us by the, the power of his spirit to reveal to us today from the scriptures clearly why this is his great plan in the earth to advance the gospel and his kingdom. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for these men and these women, these children who are in here today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to minister from your word. We thank you, God, for the work that you've done in the hearts and the lives and the work that you're doing right now, knowing that your spirit is in our midst, working to carry out all that you want to accomplish, God, knowing that 
Nothing will return void from your word, that you will accomplish what you intend to accomplish today. And that gives me great hope. That gives me great confidence today. So I ask God that you would stir the hearts of your people, that you would knit them together in love today, and that, Father, you would encourage us and inspire us to obey you, to seek your face, to follow hard after you. As long as it is called today, may we do that. As for your beautiful name, we pray. Amen. To catch us up to Acts 13, if you remember in Jerusalem in A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected on the third day and then ascended into heaven. And 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, giving them a purpose and a plan. And out of joy, the church was born, right? And, and empowered by the Spirit, Peter stands up and proclaims that Jesus Christ is God and he came to save. And he gives his first sermon in Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 hearts are transformed in that moment from all over. They had come to hear, and they were hearing Peter's message proclaimed, and they received it, and they repented. And so the young church began to walk in unity. And out of joy, the gospel creates community. And we saw that wherever the gospel goes out, the gospel shapes a community of people and brings people from diverse backgrounds and socioeconomic structures and ethnicities and connects them together, all centered around the one man, the only one who can unify, Jesus Christ. And so Peter and John then continue to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, right? And the church continues to grow. And up to around 5,000 in Acts chapters 3 through 6, and yet, inside and outside, forces threaten the unity of the church. And still, out of joy and out of a worshiping community, the church begins to multiply and continues to multiply. In AD 31, you guys remember Stephen? He gave a powerful sermon. He preaches the whole gospel. He connects the Old Testament all the way to Jesus. And then he rebukes the people for their hard hearts in Acts chapter 7. Enraged at this time, the people stoned Stephen, making him the first Christian martyr. Then in A.D. 34, the gospel continues to multiply through the ministry of Philip in Samaria and in Caesarea, as recorded in Acts chapter 8. And meanwhile, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transforms the heart of Saul. Remember Saul, the equivalent to the ISIS general? Though he was out taking and imprisoning men and women and Christians and threatening and killing them. Remember that? And who comes and meets Saul on this road to Damascus? It's Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. We all have that story. We get sideswiped into that story. Those who are in Christ, we get sideswiped off of our horse, caught up into what God is doing, the greater story that we're now a part of. And if you're in Christ and you're here today, that's where we're at. After this conversion, the gospel continues to spread throughout the ministries of Paul and Peter. And God gives Peter that vision. Remember the, the vision of a sheet coming down? And he uses Peter to reach the Gentiles first in Acts chapter 10. And then as the believers were scattered during this time because of persecution, they all scatter down. And Antioch becomes kind of the central teaching place and instruction for where the church's center of operations would be birthed out of in Acts chapter 11. And while the Lord continues to protect the church over in Jerusalem, 
Then in AD 44, King Herod Agrippa first executes the Apostle James, and then he has Peter arrested. And remember when Peter was in prison, the church was praying, and Peter is rescued by an angel leading him out in Acts chapter 12. In every day and in every age, the church both faces persecution and they lead out with praise. All multiplication comes at a cost. But what we must fight for and pray for is unity, right? We must be willing to give up our preferences. We must be willing to say goodbye for the sake of the gospel. We must continue to move forward for the good of the church and the sake of the glorious gospel to which we've been called as ambassadors of reconciliation. And so out of joy, the church multiplies. It's out of joy that we will multiply out, that a church will be planted for the sake of our community and the glory of God. And that lands us today in chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, let's jump in in Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So what we have here is this early church group of leaders. And uh, you guys think we have an eclectic group of leadership here? Is We have nothing on this church here in Antioch. We've got Barnabas. Remember, he was the one who was the encouraging brother uh, that was part, an early leader in the church, establishing that church, who later goes on to chase down and find Saul of Tarsus and bring him into the church in Jerusalem to introduce him. Hey, God really has done this work in this ISIS general. Trust me, don't be afraid of him. He's legit now. He's on our team. Then there's Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger means black or of descendant from Africa, right? So we've got this multi-ethnic, multicultural work of God going on early on from the beginning in Acts chapter 13. Then you've got a dude named Manan who grew up as a friend of like royalty hanging out with Herod. And then Lucius of Cyrene, who's actually credited with being one of the early church pastors. So you've got a, a real diverse group of leaders here in the early church as recorded in chapter 13. And look what goes here in, verse chap in, in, in chapter 13, verse 2. As they were worshiping the Lord. Now, my creative mind goes off and, and what, what did worship look like in Acts chapter 13? Was that what we just experienced? Was there, were there drums? Was there congos? Were there, were there rituals that we weren't aware of? Probably so. But the key, they were worshiping the Lord. That's what we do. That's what the people of God are called to be about. We're called to worship the Lord. We're a worshiping community first and foremost. We're all going to worship something or someone, right? And so we're called as the people of God to worship him. That's why Matt puts in effort to make sure that we sing songs that ascribe worth and glory to our king rightly so that it teaches our hearts what we're singing, what we're taking in. 
is about him. They're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. I haven't done a lot of fasting. I'm not going to lie about that. But they were worshiping and fasting. Maybe if I did, I, I, would, I would hear the Spirit of the Lord a little more clear as we see here. But look what happens. The Holy Spirit comes and speaks to them directly. Now, now we haven't had that happen. The Holy Spirit hasn't come, and, and he didn't speak to, to Pastor Dan before at the other church, and he hasn't spoken directly in an audible voice to Galen or Patrick or any of these leaders and said, set apart Billy for the work that I've called him. No, we haven't heard that, but the Holy Spirit still speaks directly to people through impressions, through other people, through the gifts that God has given us. And then as responsible people, we have to go and submit those things to the leadership of the church and the elders, which Patrick talked about last week. That's why they're in place, to help lead and, and shape the ministry of the church. And so what we see is the Holy Spirit saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work or the ministry to which I have called them. And so that ministry, we now know what it is, right? We know that they were called for the proclamation of the gospel, taking the gospel outside to the outside world, to the Gentiles. And then why we are here today is because they responded with obedience. This hasn't just happened accidentally. This has been strategic by God so that we would be here today being able to say we're caught up in God's story of redemption and renewal in the earth today, in this place, in this time. What we see first is that there is a biblical pattern for multiplication. There is a biblical pattern here for multiplication, and God's mission in the earth is the local church. And so today, we see that Paul and Barnabas are set apart for that. They Then, after they had fasted and prayed, they lay hands on them, and these guys are sent off. There's no three-year residency going on here. Not that that's bad. It's just it was different times, right? It was different times. The Holy Spirit had spoken clearly. When the Holy Spirit speaks, you don't wait. You, you step on it, and you get moving. And I think we can see that right here. So what we know is that the gathering in Antioch, out of the worship and adoration of God's people, the Holy Spirit spoke. And multiplication becomes kind of the thrust of the community of God's people. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then they were scattered all over as they began to be persecuted. Antioch becomes the center of training. Paul and Barnabas then begin to do the work that the Lord has called them to do. So we know that there are in the context of local churches from this text, there are people whom God has set apart to be sent out for the work of ministry in a special and specific way. To be sent out who have been anointed and called by God. Now, all of us have been called by God to do the work of ministry in the local church. Some of you are called to stay here and do the work of ministry here in the local context in spring. Others are called to be sent out and to be heralds of the good news in different places around in different communities to reach different types of people for the glory of God. And that's what we must take into consideration, that we're all called to do the work of ministry. We're all called to be about sharing the message of hope and participating in the Missio Dei, the mission of God in the earth. The mission of God in the earth is about redeeming and renewing the earth through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And what started in the garden is ending in a new Jerusalem, a heavenly city, where one day all things will be reunited in Christ. That's where we're headed. That Revelation chapter 7. Someone recently asked me, hey, what's a perfect church for you look like? And I said, Revelation chapter 7, bro. Revelation chapter 7, if you remember. We're all gathered around the throne and we're all singing from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every race. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain forever and ever. He's worthy to be praised. Amen. And so what we see is continued throughout the book of Acts really is the work of the Holy Spirit in planting churches and growing the church and calling people to step out in faith and obedience and so taking the gospel of grace to the surrounding world. So what happens, as I said earlier, is when, you take, when Paul takes the gospel and when we take the gospel to our neighbors, there's a, a thing that the Lord does in drawing people into gospel communities. And so Acts describes that in detail and the struggle that really is living life in community with other people who are not like you, right? It's easy to get along with people who are like us in all these ways, it's, but, but God's called us to be a part of a very diverse thing because it can only testify that, that, that God's the only one who can do that. It's easy for men in our natural abilities and leadership skills to gather people around us who are like us. That's not what God's about. God's about every tribe, every tongue, every race, every nation. All created in the image of God for the glory of God to accomplish the purposes of God in the earth. So God has people in here today that he has put gospel purposes in your heart. Strategic purposes. And so we want to fan that into flame today that you would consider what is God doing? What has God called me to specifically? And guess what? There are no varsity level Christians. You're all Christians. We're not, if we don't go and plant a church, that doesn't mean you're a JV Christian, right? I hope you understand that. Just means God has a different call for your life. That's all that means. And all of us are called to faith and obedience. And when we don't, it's, it's repentance. And so what, Tim, I love what we see in this is the pattern of multiplication and the gospel intrinsic within the gospel is it's a message that multiplies and we see that. And Tim Keller says it like this, the continual planting of churches around, and gospel communities is the most crucial strategy for the growth of the body of Christ today. The continual planting of gospel communities is the most crucial strategy for the growth of the body of Christ today. We see the pattern from Jerusalem to Antioch to Turkey and Africa and then over into Europe. And now American colonies are, are been gospelized. And then we're here today in Spring, Texas, right? And so all these gospel communities are formed. And so ultimately... When you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to become a disciple of Christ, and Christ goes to work on your heart, and Christ begins to shape who you are at the very core, gives you a new control center, gives you new desires, changes the direction of your life and the trajectory of your life, and says, follow me. When you begin to believe the gospel, when you believe to participate in gospel community and understand the gospel to the depths 
in which the grace of God is on display. And then you begin to grow deeper into that gospel by obedience and evangelism and working that out in your daily living. That's where multiplication happens. Multiplication, folks, is the result of discipleship. That's multiplication. That's the natural ebb and flow of the Christian walk. So we have to ask ourselves, who who am I discipling? Who has the Lord put in front of me that he's called me to to multiply into the follower of Jesus? We've got to get our Spurgeon quote in. I love Spurgeon, and if you you, uh, use Spurgeon, your spiritual uh, meter goes to the roof. So that's what I, that, that's what I was told. So I'm going to obey that, and we'll see if it, if it works. The Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. It was not intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward until its boundaries became commensurate with those of the world. It was to spread from Jerusalem to all Judea, from Judea to Samaria, from Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It was not intended to radiate from one central point only, but to form numerous centers from which its influence might spread to the surrounding parts. That's church planting, guys. That's why we church plant, that we would create numerous centers of gospel community where people are being trained to go out and live on mission in their local context, whether it be on the job, whether it be in the home, training up your children to be arrows fired out into the culture, ready to take the gospel forward. And so that's what Spurgeon said. I agree with that. And, and really, we have to look at data here if we're going to see how we're doing about it, how we're, how we're moving along in the right direction or if we're failing, right? And so if you go get an MRI, the MRI can't fix us, right? The MRI is not there to fix the problem. The MRI is to expose the problem that we have so that we can get it fixed. And data helps us that way. And it helps us to assess ourselves and strategically focus our efforts on these right things. And so there's research shows that I was able to pull up earliest uh, 2014 where over 4,000 churches were launched and 3,700 churches were closed. That was in the U.S. So over 4,000 churches were birthed, 3,700 churches were closed. And so if we were to break that down every week, that would mean that there were 77 churches being planted and 71 churches were being closed. And some of you out there may go, man, I just drove down Luetta and I just passed like 20 churches. Don't we have enough churches? Don't we have enough churches? Apparently, the MRI shows we're we're in need of healthy churches. There's a lot of religious institutions masquerading as churches. Right? Where there's no gospel, there's no spirit of God flowing. There's no people hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the earth. Right? And so that's what we're all about. Is that God would stir our hearts to live for him fully. So we need more churches, planting churches, planting churches with the hope and the message of the gospel that are single-focused churches, that the gospel is at the center. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The gates of hell will not prevail over the church. No matter what we see with our physical eyes, the scripture reminds us that Jesus is leading this church. That is comforting. That allows me to step out with full confidence and plant a church knowing that failure 
is not a thing when you're following Jesus. Right? It's disobedience, maybe. And then you just repent and get back after it. No such thing as failure when you're following Jesus. Disobedience is failure. Disobedience is failure. So Paul and Barnabas are sent out. The gospel spreads. We're here today because of it. The pattern of biblical multiplication will go on and on and on. Turn with me now to a familiar passage, Matthew chapter 28. If you've been in the church, you know that this passage is Jesus' address calling his disciples and reminding them to the great commission in chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's awesome to hear those Bible pages turning. I love that. You don't hear that much anymore when you've got all these devices, so that's, that's really cool. You guys are old school. You guys are old school. All right, starting in verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's your calling, Christian. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you signed up to come and follow Jesus, that's what you signed up for. You've been enlisted in this. That's what God's invited you into. The greatest rescue mission that there's ever been. And you've been invited to come play with Jesus. To come be a part of it. Wow. We were created for adventure. We were created for that. God has put that one inside of us. To be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And that's what you've been invited to as a follower of Jesus, to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a hope that is eternal, that will be realized one day when Christ steps his foot back into this cosmos as ruling, reigning in his rightful place. Thank you for participating in the work of the Lord, church. Thank you for being a part of what God wants to accomplish in the earth. Jesus has called us to be about making disciples. So the second thing that we see is that we have to be true to the Great Commission. And church planting helps us to stay true to that Great Commission and to stay focused, laser-like focused, on making sure that we're obeying the Lord with a clear strategy. When you plan for something, you have to plan and take into consideration what is it that we want to accomplish in the end, right? And then we build it out to make sure that we accomplish that. We build structures and systems and put things in place to help us reach that end. And that's what church planting does when it comes to making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission. Because we learned last week that God gave elders and pastors and teachers to oversee the church, but He didn't just give them to be the workers in the church only, right? He gave the elders and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Now, I talk to a lot of people in my, in my years of being in the church, and discipleship seems to, to feel like an overwhelming task to folks. It seems to be like something that's just way out there and hard to really do and, and to really understand. And what I want to appeal to you today is to, to look at discipleship in the, in the life of Jesus and what he did with redneck fishermen. 
right? These guys had no degrees. These, these guys didn't even know how to tie their shoes, much less hardly put their pants on right, right? And Jesus turned the world upside down with redneck fishermen. Anybody relate to rednecks in here today? All right. Love it. God's got a plan for your life, bro. And uh, he does this by the power of his spirit, calling them and discipling them. And, and look, Jesus ate with people. Jesus spent time with people, living with them, doing life together. And that's what discipleship is. If you know how to brew coffee or you know how to flip a pancake, you know how to make disciples because you can invite someone into your home, get to know them, and you just begin to, to make disciples. And then ultimately, that person, the Lord by God's grace, will step out and begin to do the same thing. And so this multiplication continues. It's walking, it's simply coming alongside someone and leading them to Jesus through the Scriptures calling them to obedience and faith in Christ, turning from sin, sharing and confessing things. There's no master's degree in discipleship. It's simply obeying Christ, being willing to lay down your life, die to yourself, give up your space and your comfort, and ask people that are not like you to come in and participate in a rescue mission that God wants to make full on in the earth today. So I want to invite you to step out this week do this. Intentionally pray about who has God put in your life to disciple with the gospel of Jesus? Who has God placed strategically around you at work, around you in your neighborhood to have over, to just chill and grill? And it's not like, you know, you don't have to go like Stephen did and present the gospel from Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. Just get to know the person. Get to show them that you care, right? Show them that you're about them. And don't make it feel contrived. And so that work is all of us making disciples, being who God has called us to be. So it's not only to make disciples here if we look at the text, but part of making disciples is to baptize. Baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he gives us this picture of baptism that is carried out by the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit working in divine unity together. And baptize people, that means and implies that they're connected to a local context, that you're connected to a community of gospel followers, baptizing them. And so baptism symbolizes our union and communion with Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection, and also says, hey, to the world, I'm with these people over here. I'm with these people at Genesis because I've been made new. I've been brought into this new family. Once I was way off from God, way under his wrath, opposed to God in every turn. And now I've died with Christ, raised to new life. He's given me a place at a new table with a new family. That's the hope that we have. That's what baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit looks like for us, is being connected to a community. There's no hope for transformation and spiritual formation if you're out on your own. There's never a context for that in the Bible. Like, go live off the grid in the woods, don't have any contact with anyone, you'll really become pious and holy, and you'll reach a varsity-level Christianity. It just doesn't happen that way. The grime and the messiness of relationships is the means by which God transforms us and shapes us into the likeness of Christ. We have to be connected into the local context. If you're not part of the local church, 
and you're here, a guest today, we ask that you consider connecting in here, being a part, becoming a part of the people who are on mission, being shaped to change the culture and to see Jesus' love and life on display in powerful ways. Acts chapter 2, again, they gave parameters and boundaries for how this community was to live once you've been baptized in. Now there's just a great description of how that early church works its way out in 41 through 47. And it's the text which we use to kind of describe what our community should look like. The early church gathering around. They worship, they sacrificially give, they lay down, they love and serve one another. You guys know there's 59 one another commands in the New Testament that we're called to fulfill. How does that happen if you're sitting at home watching the TV preacher? It doesn't. It doesn't happen. There's a context for it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teaching comes out of that. Teaching. We have to be in the context where we can be taught. It's one-on-one. It's in large gatherings like this. It's in our community groups. And it's in our daily devotions. Teaching. Growing. Being taught. If you don't know something, ask somebody who does. That's how we learn. There's no condemnation for those who don't know the whole Bible right? I don't, I don't know the whole Bible, but God's grace has given us his spirit. And so for us to lean into community, that's how we fulfill the great commission in making disciples through church planting is that this gospel is formed in the lives of people's hearts. People come together, sacrificing all things, giving themselves over to be in community with those who are not like them. And then discipleship takes place, and out of that, the ebb and flow of multiplication happens. I've got another Spurgeon here for you. As a Christian, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't live on mission for the Lord. Those are hard words from the Spurge. It's true. It's true. Why is it true? Because within the gospel is the intrinsic DNA of multiplication. And it will continue to be that way. And we're all at different places. We're all at different areas of sanctification and growing. So take a breath. Breathe out. God has you. He wants you to grow in this. And that's why we want to continue to plant churches so that we can continue to raise up people, train people to be disciple makers who make disciples. And we've got to get on it here in Harris County. The latest numbers say that Harris County's over 80,000 people moved into Harris County alone last year. That's a mega church every week, 1,600 people a week moving into this county. There's another practical reason why we need more churches, right? We need more people having the opportunity to meet the real Jesus in the real practical way with the power of the gospel. And so the only way that we're to be sure that Christians are growing in our community is that we have more Churches growing in the gospel and nature and being planted out in our community. That's the only way we can be sure. Now, it used to be there was a certain model where you would build the large church and hope that you would attract a lot of people from the community. That's not the biblical case. The biblical case is for churches all over the place in communities, reaching the people in that community. Not saying that the Lord's not doing the work like that in that, through that. But that's not the norm for us. Those churches now have seen where they've started planting out churches and raising up because they've been resourced to do that. And so the gospel goes out in a worshiping community. It is forming that worship. Disciples are then made. 
the glory of the Lord begins to rise out of a community where they become a city on a hill. And what do the scriptures say? That the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, right? This is how we participate in that. This is how we participate in expanding the reach of God's glory. When a worshiping community, living, obedient to God, making disciples, the glory of God on display, sharing in that. And it says, as, as the waters are on the sea, a lot of water out there on the sea. That's what we want. We need a lot of churches being planted with the gospel and the hope, with people committed to shaping a community with the message of Jesus Christ. Ed Stetzer and Daniel M. are really good Christian research, and they provide uh, a lot of good statistics and facts for us, for those of you who like that kind of thing. But in their research, it shows that new churches are able to reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups far easily, more easily than churches that have been in existence for whatever reason. Christian countries, they said, will have to maintain extensive church planting strategies simply to stay Christian. I think we can take a 35-year snapshot of our history here in our country and kind of see what's happening, right? We've fallen behind when it comes to getting gospel churches out there. And so I want to ask today that you would consider how the Lord would have you participate in church planting. You're participating here by being a part of a church that is committed to it. But I want to ask you specifically for us, how do you participate and helping us by praying for us, by giving of your time and of your resources and sacrificing yourselves for the hope of Jesus to be spread across this county so that people who are moving in over the next 10 to 15 years will be able to meet the real Jesus in the real powerful way. And that's what we endeavor to do. Because our cities, guys, we don't need more entertainment. We've got that covered. We don't need more planting of religious services. There's people who can do that really well. We don't need that. That's not the hope. Our cities need missional going of Christians who are on mission for Jesus, witnessing and making disciples. That's church planting. That's what we're called to. That's what I'm laying my life down for, to help those come and be a part of what God wants to accomplish in the earth. One last story I'm going to tell, and then we will be finished today with the preaching in 1937, a man by the name of Emory Island had a vision for a church in the Tomball area. He made a trip out to, from Houston to Decker Prairie and began building or began holding services in homes. After a time, a small group developed of folks who shared in his vision. And there was a young preacher by the name of Henry Spillers who came and held a, a tent revival. Anybody remember tent revivals? Yeah. Tent Revival at the intersection, listen to this, this was at the intersection of FM 249 and Hardin Store Road, right there in Decker Prairie. In 1941, a small group obtained permission to build on the property of a, a woman by the name of Wilma Kruger. She's like a Lydia, I would imagine. Across from the tent meeting, and this name I love, the Gospel Mission began. That was what they called the ministry, the gospel mission. Focused, strategic, communicating what they wanted. So the Lord continues to grow that church. 
He raised up a young man by the name of Dan Scheel in 1972. Dan became the pastor of that church. Dan later moved on to plant a church in Conroe. Dan later moved to plant in Huntsville. Dan later moved to plant in Tyler, Texas. Dan later moved to take on and replant a church in Midland, Texas. And about 20 years ago, Dan was called back to that church in Conroe. In 1977, William Scheel family had a baby boy into the uh, family of God there, and they were part of what was known as Decker Chapel. Some 10 years later, that little baby boy would hear the gospel and have Jesus captivate his heart. Twenty-nine years later, that same little boy would respond to God to plant a new gospel community in Southwest Tomball. He would be standing in a church in Spring, Texas today asking for you to participate in that with him. To consider what the Lord would have and what he's doing in Harris County as he's bringing all these people to us, how will we be a part of the redemption and renewal in Harris County? If you think about it, every believer, this is your story. This is the story that we've caught, been caught into. You can trace your story back to a person who said, yes, I will go, I will participate in the gospel work. I will go and be a part of launching a work of the gospel I will go and support. I will add my resources and my time. I will go and start a church. That's what we're a part of. That's what we're hoping to accomplish by God's grace. We're not planning another service. That's the last thing I want to do. My hopes is that we're planting a gospel community that by God's grace will be lifted up in the earth that a movement of churches who plant churches, who plant churches, who plant churches will continue to roll on out as God's grace empowers us and as he leads us and as he builds people into the work and the mission of the local church. That's church planting. That's what I'm excited to be about. And I hope you too will be excited about how God has called you to be a part of that in a small way. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.